hummingbird outside my window. I've been waiting for her. You know, I think that hummingbird might be my mother. <laughs> and I haven't seen her in a while. That's just, I mean, that's just sort of an example of how I work, right? If something comes up. Welcome to Meditationable, the show where you'll hear stories of experts in the fields of meditation, well-being, and more. This is your host, Anto. Today on the show, integrative psychotherapist, art therapist, and more, Elena Kaiser. Hello, Elena. It's so nice to have you here today. Yes, it's a pleasure. We finally connect. Yes. Um, so first, like I do with every guest, I would like to give you the opportunity of introducing yourself to the world and to tell us a little about yourself and what you do. Um, okay, my name's Elena Greenberg-Kaiser, and um, I've been a therapist for over, I don't even know, I've lost track, well over 30 years. And um, I'm also a certified licensed art therapist. And I also do um, something called EMDR, which is for trauma. And it's very, really powerful, but very natural. And um, I also do some other things in my work that I've integrated when you're a therapist for a long time. And you have a passion for your work like I do, you're always learning and there's so much new brain science and um, there's always things to learn. So I continue learning and adding to what makes sense for me. And uh, I have three adult children and so I'm very proud of them. And um, I have a, more time to focus on my art and my work. That's amazing. Um... So first, I wanted to ask, could you talk to us about art therapy and explain what it consists of? Well, you know, there's just like every other modality or any other kind of science, people, you know, find what works for them. You know, traditionally, um, art therapy was used diagnostically. There were certain, you know, draw a tree, draw a house, draw this. And and then you could make inferences of, you know, what you think's going on. But schematically, you can see in, for instance, a child's drawing, there are developmental stages where, you know, children, when they're very little, you know, they first draw like tadpole people. So you wouldn't want to see someone older drawing that kind of drawing. So you can tell sometimes of, of certain delays, but the way I use it is not to test and diagnose. It's a more of a way to uh, non-verbally see what's going on. And oftentimes, you know, it goes deeper, faster than words. And, um, and so, you know, sometimes it's symbolic, but oftentimes it's a way to remove the event or the difficulty that someone's dealing with and so you can talk about the drawing sometimes more easily than yourself. So, um, and then you can, you know, you can have murderous rage in a drawing. You can have fantastic fantasies in a drawing. You can also draw something that happened and how you wish it was different. 
And also, um, like sometimes someone might say, you know, oh, I only draw with a pencil. And then I might say, well, let's try some color. But, you know, so you want to try to get someone who's very tight and restricted to start opening up a little bit and you can see it visually in the work. Um, I mean, that's the advantage to using the art is that it, it makes um, what's otherwise not visual or concrete, it can bring it to the surface. It's also just really good for the brain and it also stimulates calm, calming chemicals that we have uh, inside us. And there's, on the other hand, if someone is, has no boundaries and is all over the place, you know, there's a way to kind of work with containing and shifting the materials. Like let's just do collage for instance. And in group therapy with art, you know, everyone can draw or paint at the same time versus just talk group therapy, only one person can talk at a time, right? So, you know, in, it's, it, and it's also very powerful in family therapy. It's like sitting right down at someone's dinner table pretty immediately, you know, where people sit, what materials they choose. But, um, but I don't, you know, not everyone that comes to see me does, does art. And sometimes I, I do encourage it um, depending on if I don't quite understand something. So it's a really good tool. So I have a tool, a toolbox, right? I have to individualize my work and um, I work primarily with children and families, but I do see young adults and uh, adults too. Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask you because I saw that you draw on a huge range of different techniques and you integrate them in different ways from art therapy to play therapy to mindfulness. And how did you start finding the connection between these different practices? Oh, that's, you know, that's a really good question. So, you know, I, in my adolescent years were kind of rough. I moved from the East Coast to the Midwest and I, you know, I struggled. So I went, you know, my parents are like, oh, you can't talk to a stranger, you know, but I insisted I needed to talk to someone, a non-parental adult. And I found talking very limited after a while, just talking and crying my eyes out was just not working. And so as I, as an undergraduate, I studied art, I studied painting and psychology. And then I went to graduate school at the Art Institute and got my master's in art therapy. And I, and I loved, you know, I took my science classes at the medical school and you know there was a beautiful balance between being an artist and learning how to use art as a healing modality but i felt there was something that was missing and i felt it was the body so at 16 i started to do tm transcendental meditation And so I became aware of just, you know, being still in the body and um, being able to develop that mindfulness, right? So um, I ended up studying something after graduate school called Hokomi, which is still in existence, but it's a little somewhat esoteric. But the developer of uh, Hokomi was Ron Kurtz. And he, a lot of, he influenced a lot of people like 
Richard Schwartz, who used to be at the Family Institute, who developed internal family systems, which I which I integrate in my work and um, uh, sensory. Uh, Pat Ogden's work um, is also very somatic, fo somatically focused and influenced by uh, Ron Kurtz as well. So I, when I studied Hakomi, I had that aha moment. So it was like, oh, I'm sad. Okay, so you're sad. Well, where, how do you experience that in your body? Where do you feel that? And back then we would actually, you know, ask permission, but we would touch our clients like, let me take over it. You know, is this, is this how much pressure you feel? You know, my hand on your chest. We, we don't do that so much anymore because of all the legalities. And, um, but you can still um, have people develop mindfulness around where they experience their sadness or their worry. And, um, and then at the same time, being able to have, you know, a dual focus or a window of tolerance of being able to, when you're really worried or anxious, you can be aware that there's other resources that you can just use mindfulness to say, oh, you know, I'm worried, I'm scared, but um, the other part of my brain knows I'm safe. So you have a dual focus that you develop through mindfulness, just a deeper awareness rather than reacting or having those parts take over completely. And so um, from my studies in um, mindfulness, I mean, no one used that word back in the eighties, you know, we were like, wow, mindfulness, you know? And um, now it's like, you know, every, everyone knows that word. So it was exciting to be on that cutting edge where Eastern and Western philosophies came together, right? that kind of idea of meditation and stillness and um, observing rather than reacting, a pause, right? Noticing the breath, teaching people how their breathing can help activate calming chemicals in their body. And that we have this natural internal pharmacology. Um, and obviously, you know, there's a place for meds. I'm not against it. I think it's appropriate when you feel like you've exhausted your options and your stress or your sadness or your worry is, is just too dominant in your life. And sometimes people, you know, beat themselves up like, well, I, you know, I eat a great diet. I run 10 miles and I meditate and I, you know, but I'm still miserable. And sometimes, you know, there's a, there is a very delicate balance in our chemistry. And so, you know, evaluating that and also just looking at my clients as, you know, I'll ask parents, you know, how much screen time are your kids doing? And, um, and just really being able to remind parents about the importance of their being present and how do they sit within themselves and the impact on their children. So, you know, everything's interconnected and that's how I came to it, right? I just use my body as an instrument and, no, and just worked like what works for me probably works for other people as well. So, um, you know, I've been fortunate to have come across the right people at the right time. And now I get to just, um, you know, not feel so pressed to have to 
you know, go back to school in any way, but really just be able to um, feel like a, a, a wise older woman that I am. <laughs> Well-deserved, I might add. <laughs> so, um, and, and also, you know, having raised three kids, right? So when you have children, you see all those developmental phases and, you know, you understand firsthand basis, the stress and uh, what it requires to hold a relationship together and family together. So I bring um, some of that personal wisdom and experience to my work too. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think, and what you said that you like, it's from personal experience and that you hope it resonates with, with other people. Like if it helped you, it might help other people too. I, I definitely agree with that. And and the fact that you say that everything is so interconnected and there's no one size fits all in this world of like therapy and 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 like when you integrate these different practices and see what fits best for a specific person um that might actually work for them and it's not just like one way one path but it's like discovering what helps you specifically right i mean i think um that's very true. I do think that I wish I had the opportunity to reach people that didn't have good health insurance or couldn't afford it. I think there needs to be more mental health support, you know, not just for people, um, you know, who have health insurance or who can afford it. I mean, everybody needs support. Um, At, at all different stages of our lives. I'm, I think what I find remarkable is how wise children are. And I can't tell you how many parents say, well, my eight-year-old or my nine-year-old asked to go see a therapist. And I'm like, oh my God, like that would never, but um, I wish there was more um, therapy for, you know, like, so EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And it's a bilateral movement of the eyes. Like we dream at night, we have the REM cycle. So our, you know, we reboot when we sleep at night. So we wake up relatively refreshed and we have our dreams. So um, EMDR oftentimes like on Zoom, like I, it's amazing how many people I've treated over Zoom seamlessly, not so much with children, but with adults for sure. So it's like um, bilateral tapping like this. So you can tap on your top of your thighs. And so the idea is that when we have trauma, whether it's little trauma or big trauma, it can be, you know, to, it could be insignificant to someone else. It's not like, oh my God, I had this horrible accident. It could just be like, someone told me I had big legs or something, you know? And it's like, I can't get it out of my head and I feel horrible about my body. So, um, you you take a lot of history and you review trauma history and you go to a disturbing memory and picture with where you feel it in your body and the emotion and you um hold the you know you tap and what it does is it actually digests the mixed up yucky thought so it's not like you forget obviously what happened but you don't have the reaction And it's also prescribed for the military and PTSD. It's been very successful. And so I integrate EMDR with children 
and, um, and adults, depending on, you know, oftentimes, you know, I'm just like, oh, definitely EMDR would help this kid because they just are stuck on this mixed up yucky thought that is keeping them feeling joyful or good about themselves. And it had, it came from this incident or, um, or it could be like a, a trauma, like a death or a divorce or something. And, um, you know, you can project a positive future because the imagination is in the brain, you know, when you, you know how you dream at night and you might feel like you're flying. I mean, it's as if you're flying. So the imagination is very powerful. So when you imagine something shifting in the future while you're tapping, it helps the brain create new pathways. And um, there's a lot of research on it. It's, you know, you can go to emdria.com and read about it. And um, it's really helped my, uh, my work. It's kind of integrated the body piece and it's, um, and I trust people's inner wisdom and body intelligence and the brain can heal. And so as a therapist, you know, you can track it and watch the changes and it's very satisfying when people have um, less um, dysregulation in their lives. And um, so it's, it's a, you know, there's something kind of sacred about the work and spiritual too. And it doesn't have, you don't have to use the word God. It could just be something bigger than our understanding. And, you know, most human beings don't know exactly why they're here or how we came to be or where we go after we die. So there's an element in therapy of that mystery that, you know, um, it's, it's okay to include. I mean, I don't put anything on anyone, but I certainly ask people um, how they, how they, you know, uh, children too. I mean, children will talk about, um, I, I had someone today say, I know there's a ghost in my attic. And I'm like, really, you know that? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely sure there's a ghost in my closet or in my attic. And I'm like, well, you know, some people, you know, sense that other people don't, you know, maybe so, right? So um, there's a, just a myriad of things that can come up in the, in the therapy room from, from very practical matters, you know, of just about um, healthy living skills, life skills to complex trauma. And as a therapist, you have to know what you can handle and who's a good person to refer to if you, if you can't. Make sense? Yeah, totally makes a lot of sense and um there's this like mystical thing going on you know something bigger than ourselves and i feel like that has a lot to do with with the idea of like mindfulness um meditation how do you use these concepts in your therapies as well so not everyone wants to go that deep right and it, and that's not necessarily my goal you know like someone needs to go to that place in order to you know people come to it in their own time and in their own way and when i teach mindfulness some people kind of stay more on the surface and some people go deeper and so if people are ready to go deeper um 
sometimes people say, you know, wow, I just felt like I was one with everything, or I kind of didn't really feel my body on the couch so much. And it wasn't scary. And it felt good. And even though I wasn't in control, exactly, I was actually very in control, right? Um, Like an altered state of consciousness, like hypnotherapy, for instance. And I've done, I've, I've, I've trained in hypnotherapy, but, you know, and, and people swear by it and it's amazing. But for me, I, I just prefer um, having the client be a little bit more directed rather than me directing them. Um, whereas for instance, EMDR, you know, you just really watch the brain and people report what's going on and you tr- follow and track them. Whereas hypnotherapy is a little bit more directive. So um, anyway, and then that's just a personal preference, but, you know, it really depends, you know, how deep someone wants to go. And, um, and also, you know, you have to be careful because when there's been trauma, you know, people disassociate and it's not like a bad thing. It's the way we survive. If, you know, God forbid you're sexually assaulted or something horrible happened Um, you know, you leave your body. And so some people who have had, sadly, uh, complex trauma, you know, need to stay grounded. So you don't want someone to go deep and far away, right? So you have to assess where people are. So again, it just is very individualized, depending on what's going on. So it's, you know, but um, I, I, I think it's, you know, I like to think of therapy and I think it, you know, it's such, I don't love the word. I wish there was another word for it because it's so multifaceted, but, you know, to come to a place where you're just focusing on yourself and you're taking time in this chaotic, often troubling, busy world, right? Just to find that inner peace and to know that it exists, that there's infinite quiet and space. And, you know, it's hard even for me to like take time to, you know, just shut down the noise. And so, you know, coming into the office or making art or whatever is really about a timeless little chunk of a period of time to just, you know, review and address certain things. It's really a gift to oneself. But again, I wish it was available for more people. And I, 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 you know, and there are people working on that. I, you know, I know that for a fact, but, um, you know, uh, we have a long way to go in our mental health uh, in this country, certainly. And it's obvious, you know, every day, you know, if you are in a city, there's a, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of pain, but, but on the flip side, there's, you know, it's hopeful that people can heal. I resonate with that so much because since I've been really little, whenever I have like, whenever I go through something really hard that it's hard for me to process, the first thing I would do is just grab my notebook and start drawing or start writing or or just do something to ground myself and to just get it out of my system. Yes. Because sometimes speaking um, can't really reflect what you're feeling. There's nothing more powerful than looking at something you did and and feeling proud and feeling seen and being like oh 
I did this. I was able to mold chaos into something beautiful. Mm -hmm. I'm capable of transmuting my emotions and and I'll get through this, you know, like it'll be fine. It'll be okay. Exactly, exactly. And there's, I mean, since prehistory, people have been expressing themselves on cave walls and trying to make sense of life. And uh, it's very natural to want to illustrate and portray um, an experience. And it's like, you know, your foot in the sand, right? It's like, you like, you like to see that you exist and, and how you express that creativity. It's, it's very powerful and very healing to tap into the creative source that we all have, whether you call yourself an artist or not is irrelevant. Oh, a hummingbird outside my window. I've been waiting for her all summer long. I don't know. It's a good sign. I think that hummingbird might be my mother. <laughs> and I haven't seen her in a while. That's just, I mean, that's just sort of an example of how I work, right? If something comes up, I, you know, I don't like, oh my God, there's a squirrel. <laughs> if I wasn't on the podcast, I'd probably be crying right now. Because you don't see hummingbirds high up in pine trees. So I know, you know, there's something special about that. And probably you too. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Meditationable. For more wisdom, visit at Meditationable on Instagram.